Several months ago, during our uh, Communion Sunday event, some of you were here with us where we had a communion meal on Sunday morning and then a message. And uh, during that message, some of you may remember, I told you the story of Rosie Ruiz. Remember that story? Uh, Some of you probably remember it from from history. She was uh, the lady who tried to cheat her way to sports stardom by entering the 1980 Boston Marathon at a half mile from the finish. She finished first place with uh, one of the fastest times for a, for a female in the history of that race. And at first, it seemed as if she was going to get away with it, but there were way too many red flags, one being that no one spotted her at any of the checkpoints along the way. Another one was she didn't really look like a world-class runner. She didn't have a build like a world-class runner. She wasn't hardly winded. And then the dagger in the heart came when uh, eyewitnesses came forward who saw her stumble out of the crowd and into the race. Very, very strange story. Well, it goes without saying that Rosie did not run that race well, right? She didn't hardly even run the race, uh, much less run it well. But the Bible uses the metaphor of a race quite a bit to describe how our lives are to be lived as Christians. The Christian faith is often described or illustrated as a race to be run. You're going to be reading a few of those passages this week from Scripture. Bill read one for us earlier. We're going to see this metaphor used today in the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Turn to chapter 12. We're continuing our study through Hebrews, and I, I, my plan is to finish it before summer starts, okay? So we're going to get it done. We've been in it for quite some time, this book, this great book. And in Hebrews chapter 12, very familiar passage in verses 1 and 2, he is going to use this metaphor to encourage his Jewish Christian audience to continue to run this spiritual race for Christ well. And he's not only writing to encourage them to run the race well, but he is going to explain to them how to run this race that God has set before them and before us believers to run. And let's be honest, this is a message that we need to hear today, is it not? There are some here this morning, there will be some here during the second service who are not running this race well. Some have stopped running altogether. Some have gotten off the hard but right path that God has called for us to stay on. Some are considering quitting. Some of you may be in here and in the following service where you've, uh, you, you can say this has been you at one time or another. You've gotten off track, but maybe now you're back on track spiritually and running well, pursuing godliness. You'll be able to attest to what the author of Hebrews says in these important two verses we're going to look at. And if you're not there yet, my prayer is that you will be soon. And this is a message for all of us this morning. This morning... 
focusing in on this very popular, encouraging, and challenging passage of Scripture. And I am truly praying for, for great fruit to come from this message and this study this morning. So Hebrews chapter 12. Many have committed this to memory, verses 1 and 2. It's a good one to memorize. Let me read it for us, and then we'll break it down a little bit, okay? There's a lot here. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now the main point in this passage of Scripture is clearly seen in verse 1. The, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is the main point of this passage. God has, has saved us, believers, from sin and death. He has restored us to Himself through His Son. In Christ alone, we have been restored. God, the Holy Spirit, has entered into our lives and He has taken up residence there and is working in us to will and to do. God has set us apart. He's placed us in this race. He has called for us to run this race for Him. And again, what is this race that we've been called to run as believers? It's the Christian life and all that it entails. It's the race of pursuing godliness, becoming more like Jesus. It's the race of advancing God's kingdom through being witnesses for Christ. It's preaching Christ and Him crucified for the purpose of reaching the lost with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this race is also making disciples pouring into other believers till they become disciple-making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the race. That's the race that all of us, not just pastors in full-time ministry, but, but all of us have been called to run. We have learned that the Hebrews, they started this race well. We have learned that in our study, but they got off track along the way. They were drifting spiritually, looking beyond, turning away from the Lord Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is writing this book to simply tell them, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, don't drift. Don't look away from. Don't look beyond. Don't drift from Christ. Consider Him. Look to Him. Cling to Him. Trust in Him. Follow hard after Him. That's what he's saying here in Hebrews 12. Verse 1, when he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He is encouraging them to run with them. Have you ever done that when running? Any, any runners in here? <laughs> At one time, maybe? Runner? Okay, good. You ever done that? You, you run alongside somebody and you're doing pretty well, but they're struggling? And you say, come on, come on, just keep going. Stick with me. Run with me. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's doing with them in a spiritual sense. He's saying, run with me again and keep going. 
Run with endurance the race that is set before us. By the way, believers, great advice to give to other believers who are struggling. Run alongside them. Encourage them to run this race with you. We need one another, don't we? Don't quit. Keep going. For, for your sake and for God's glory. That's what he's doing. And again, he doesn't simply tell them to do this, but he shows them how this race is to be run well. Let's look at a few points here. This breaks down nicely in, this, in these two verses. Several keys the author gives here in these two verses for how to run this race that God has set before us with endurance. Here's the first one. Number one, we must consider all the faithful who have gone before us. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's start with the first word, therefore. We encounter this word a lot in our study through Scripture, right? When you come across a therefore, you have to ask what? What is the therefore, therefore, right? You've heard me say that over and over again. Well, it's a connecting word. It takes us back to what was previously said. I know it's been a while since we've been in Hebrews, but many of you, you'll remember in Hebrews 11, we camped out in that chapter for several weeks. And that chapter is filled with example after example of great men and women of the faith, men like Noah and Abraham and, and Moses and the other patriarchs, women like Sarah and Rahab. The list of names in Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. That's, that's how it's referred to by, by many, by many uh, Christian leaders and, and Bible teachers, the hall of faith. He's giving them an example, example after example of, of the faithful, showing them how to live the Christian life. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the author of Hebrews is looking back at this list in chapter 11 and is saying, therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run this race set before us. Now, when he says great cloud of witnesses, he is talking about these, these faithful men and women who have gone before. I think this has been mistranslated in the past. Oftentimes, these two verses are just taken right out of context and just hung out with nothing around it. We don't want to do that, right? Chapter 11 was written before chapter 12, and that's important. What is he saying in context? Well, some view this passage as saying we're running this race, and we have these faithful men sort of sitting up in the clouds, kind of sitting up in the stands, looking down and cheering us on, saying, come on, go, keep going, keep going. That, that's not what's being said here. Their focus is not on us in chapter 11. The focus of the faithful is on God. Their lives are focused on Him. Their lives are focused on living for Him, and that's where our focus is to be. The author of Hebrews is telling his Christian audience, we're to look to the example of these men and women who have gone before us, who looked to God and followed faithfully after Him. Their faithful lives should motivate us to live faithful lives for God. That's what he's saying. He's telling them, many, of, many have run before you, and they have run their race well. Follow their example, and you do the same. And he's going to tell them later, look to Jesus, right? 
That's where our focus is to be. We'll get to that. It's great motivation, isn't it? Looking at the faithful who have gone before, several months ago I was in Florida for a class and I got to spend time with the uh, pastor at First Baptist Church in Naples, Florida. Big church. His name is uh, Dr. Hayes Wicker. And I got to have dinner at his table and talk with him. That's where Chuck Colson went to church for a while. He was, he was uh, Dr. Colson's pastor for a while. Uh, Chuck Colson, for those of y'all that know him, he, he actually uh, gave Dr. Wicker his library. And so I actually got to go through and see his library. It was very, very cool for a nerdy seminary student like myself. <clears throat> but uh, it, was a, it was a great time just to talk to him. He was sharing with me about relationships that he had with uh, Adrian Rogers, other guys, just giants in the faith. But he was one of the most humble and godly of men, a man of prayer, a man who loves Christ's church, a man who loves God's word. I tell you, his life was such an encouragement to me. For the short time I got to spend with him, made me want to be more faithful, made me want to pray more, be more committed, more loving, more godly. That's the way encounters should be with men of faith, right? That's why I love reading biographies. You want to grow spiritually, read about the lives of the godly men and women who have gone before us. They're normally easy reads, but they're very, very edifying. In fact, you'll notice in your study guide this week that I have a challenge for you. It's a big challenge to commit to this month or next, uh, read a biography of a, a man or woman of the faith and, and, and look to their example. Look at how they follow Christ and follow their example as they, they follow Christ. That's what the, the author of Hebrews is calling for here. So let's do that, believers. Let's run our portion of the race well. Let's follow in the footsteps of the faithful before us. Let's run this race well. That's the, the first key there. Consider all the witnesses, all the faithful who've gone before us. Number two, second key to running the race well is we must get rid of everything that hinders us. Look at verse one again. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. How do we faithfully run this race God has called us to run. We do it by laying aside every weight. Now I want you to notice something here. Notice he doesn't say sin. He's going to get to sin in a moment. This is separate from that. It's a very, very important distinction. Don't just lay aside sin. Lay aside every weight. Oftentimes when asking about living the Christian life, Christians ask the wrong questions. They ask, is it a sin to do that, or is it not? If so, I guess I can do it. John Piper, when commenting on this passage of Scripture, says, don't just ask, is it a sin? That's about the lowest question you can ask in life, he says. Ask, will it help me run? Or will it get in my way? We're to throw off every weight that keeps us from running this race well. This illustration of running is a great illustration because it's universal. No matter where you go in the world, there, there are people who know about running, right, and compete in that way. And oftentimes when you watch those events 
on TV. They've got their warm-up clothes on, right, as they're warming up. But what do they do before they run? They, they put those things off, right? They put them aside. Anything that is wind-resistant, any and everything that keeps them from running well. We're to be doing that in our spiritual lives. We are to lay aside any and everything that hinders us from running this race that God has called for us to run well. Let me ask you, what is hindering you in your race that, that God has called for you to run? Again, it may not be something sinful. One of my favorite authors and teachers is Paul David Tripp, and I've got a lot of great quotes by him that I, that I use all the time, and one of my favorites is this. He says, even a good thing can become a bad thing if that thing becomes a ruling thing. Let me say that again. Even a good thing can become a bad thing if that thing becomes a ruling thing. There are good things in your life, but they must not rule your heart. That's very, very important because then they become bad things. They must not take up residence in that place that is reserved for Christ alone. They must not rule you. What is that certain thing that you love that is a hindrance to you running this race that God has called for you to run? What, what is hindering your, your, you a bit from, from living for Christ? What is ruling your heart a bit too much? Causing you to stumble in this race. The author of Hebrews says, lay it down. Lay it aside. This race is too important. Here's the third key to faithfully running this race. Number three, we must lay aside sin that entangles us. Look at verse one again. And by the way, notice how important verse one is. We, we've drawn out three points from our sermon already from verse one. Very, very important verse. One of the most important on living the Christian life. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So notice here, not only should we rid ourselves of, of every weight that distracts us and keeps us from running well, those good things that become bad things because they become ruling things that weigh us down and hinder our walk with Christ, but we must also lay aside sin that clings so closely to us. I like the way the NIV and NASB put it, that easily entangles us. The Greek word used here is euperistatos, which refers to something that is clung so tightly to you that it hinders movement. The best illustration I can think of is a three-legged race. Have you ever done that? Y'all ever done a three-legged race? You know what I'm talking about, right? Even if you haven't. In that race, you're tied to someone else. Your, your legs are tied together, and it's hard to run, right? You have to go at their pace, or they have to go at your pace. If you're running faster, if one of you falls, both of you are going down, right? But have you ever been running in that race, and, and the, your legs, they break free? Boy, you forget what it's like to run free, right? It's amazing. Now, the, this is where the illustration falls down. If you finish in that way, you're disqualified. But... You get the point, right? It's difficult to move with someone attached to you. This is how sin 
hinders us. It clings so closely to you. It hinders movement toward godliness. It it trips us up. It messes us up spiritually. It keeps us from running this race that God has called for us to run. Here's the problem with us today. You ready? We often view sin as being what is freeing and living holy lives as being what is binding. We do. We do. Don't say we don't. We do. We believe that freedom is doing what we want and slavery is belonging to God and living a life for Him. We believe we have to forfeit happiness for holiness. We do. Now, we may not say that out loud, but we prove we believe that way in the way in which we live. We do. See it all the time. I know you do too. But get this. The opposite is in fact true. Did you know that? Sin is what enslaves us. Sin's what binds us up, trips us up, keeps us from living a truly joyous life in Christ with God. It keeps us from that. That's why we should hate it and go to war against it. True freedom is found in a relationship with God and a life lived for Him. That's why we sing, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. True freedom is being freed from sin and being freed for God. That's true freedom. Have you been freed from sin? Is Christ Lord of your life? Have you turn from your sin? Have you given your life up and over to Jesus so that you can truly be free from sin and death and have forgiveness and abundant life with God in Christ? If not, I pray you would today. Maybe you're here and you're trusting in Christ, but you're struggling. You're struggling with certain sins that are really tripping you up, clinging closely to you, hindering you from moving forward in godliness. Listen, if you are in Christ, listen, God, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your heart and life, and He is able and is willing and wants to work in and through you to will and to do to resist that temptation and live holy lives unto God, lives that honor Him. Him. I urge you today, whatever struggle you have, lift that struggle up to God right here, right now, today. Ask God through the power of His Spirit, through the instruction of His Word, through the help of His people, that He would provide you with the help you need to live for Him. The fourth key to running faithfully, the race set before us is this, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I ran track in high school. I ran the long sprints, the the quarter mile and the mile relay. And to run that race well, like with many of the short sprints as well, you got to keep your eyes ahead. You got to be aware of where you're going. You got to stay in your lane. If you look to the right or the left, not only could that hinder you from from running well and running faster. You could also get off track and get out of your lane and be disqualified. You have to keep your eyes fixed on what is ahead. Same is true for us spiritually. To run the race God has called for us to run, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Why? He is to be the focus from the beginning 
to the end of this race. To start this race, you know, you have to look to Jesus. It's only through Him that you can enter into this race by faith alone, in Christ alone. After you come to faith in Christ, He is the one we're to follow. He's our example. He's the one we're to emulate. He is the one we're to be striving to be like. We're to be looking to Him and trusting in Him and following hard after Him and longing to be like Him. He is the focus from the first to the last, from the beginning to the end. Look at verse 2 again. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now the word founder means Christ is the originator, the beginning of the faith. It all starts with Jesus. We've talked about this in our study through Hebrews at length already. Though there were promises made, systems put in place, before God the Son took on flesh and dwelt among us, He's always been the plan, the only plan. There's not a plan B in salvation. Christ is the only plan. We see that on the heels of the fall in Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve are told that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent. Who's the seed of the woman? It's Jesus. On the heels of the fall, you have the hope of Christ. How about that? All the promises, sacrifices, prophecies from the Old Testament, they point to and they picture Jesus. He comes and he fulfills all that was promised through his life, death, and resurrection. He is also the perfecter of our faith. This means he's the one who's going to bring our salvation to completion. He's going to bring it to its rightful end. He is returning, and we're told when he does, when we see him as he is, we're going to be forever changed, those of us trusting in him. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be like him, and he is also going to make creation around us right again, bringing all things to order again. He's also going to judge and condemn his enemies. He's going to do that. Not only should we fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith, the beginning and the end, but also because he endured the cross for us. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Christ endured crucifixion for us he laid down his life as payment for our sin as our substitute and perfect sacrifice that's why our focus should be on him by enduring the cross for us Jesus accomplished our salvation our only hope of rescue is in Christ we were sinners set against God Jesus came endured the cross. He became sin who knew no sin so that we through faith alone and him alone could be made righteous. Jesus opened the way back up for sinful men to be restored to holy God. That's why we should consider Jesus. That's why we should focus on him. That's why our eyes should be fixed on him. Notice what else he did. He endured the cross despising the shame. Christ not only died a painful death, he died a shameful one. The cross was not only excruciating, it was humiliating. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. A shameful way to die. So much so that Roman citizens could not be put to death by crucifixion. 
They were stripped naked and ridiculed and tortured publicly for the world to see. It was reserved for the lowliest of criminals, the worst of the worst, and Jesus was willing to be brought low in this way and to die in this painful and shameful way. Why? He tells us, for the joy that was set before him. Christ knew what this work was going to accomplish. He knew there was joy that was going to come as a result of the pain and the shame that he endured at Calvary. Joy for him, being completely obedient to his Father's will and ultimately being exalted and joy for all of those who trust in him alone for salvation. Joy for Christ, joy for men and women, joy because this great work reconciles sinful men and women to holy God. Joy. Joy. Another reason why we should fix our eyes on Jesus is because Jesus sat down the right hand of the Father on high. Look at verse 2, Hebrews 12 again. We're told, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the point. Christ, though he died a painful death on a shameful cross, he rose again. He ascended to the Father's right hand, and we're told he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have talked about this. This is mentioned many times, right, in the book of Hebrews, the fact that Jesus is seated. That is significant. There were no seats in the tabernacle and later in the temple for the priest to sit on. Now there was one, the mercy seat, and no priest would dare go into that room and, and prop himself up on that seat and sit down, right? There were no seats in there. You know why? Their job was never finished. It was never done. They offered sacrifice after sacrifice for God's people that could not take away sin, we're told in Hebrews, because they were flawed go-betweens and their sacrifices were insufficient. Christ offered a single sufficient sacrifice for sin by laying his own life down. He rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father on high, and he sat down signifying that the work the Father sent him to do was accomplished. To tell us die, it's finished. That's the reason our focus should be on Christ. That's the reason our eyes should be fixed on Jesus. He endured the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we, through faith alone and Him alone, might become the righteousness of God in Him. The work He accomplished at Calvary makes it possible for us to move by faith alone in Christ alone, from being enemies of God to being children of God. He rose again, giving hope to all of us who are trusting in Christ alone to have life. We have life, John says, in Christ. We have life in his name through faith alone in him alone. We're able to be raised to walk in newness of life right here and right now. We have an abundant life and we also have an eternal life. We live even though we die. 
There's a future resurrection coming for us. Trusting in Christ, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep because He has been resurrected. That guarantees all of us who are trusting in Him will be as well. That's a great hope, isn't it? He ascended to the right hand of the Father on high, showing us that the work that he was sent to do, he accomplished, he did. We are, we are secure in Christ. Our hope is sealed. No matter what we experience in this life, believers, our future hope in Christ, it's sealed. The work is finished. Christ came from heaven to earth in accordance with the Father's will, lived for us, endured opposition, laid down his life, finished the race the Father set before him, and we too, if we're in him, we look to him, trust in him, follow in his footsteps and run this race well, we too will finish well in him. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're weary in your spiritual life. For whatever reason, you need help on the next steps. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Commit these verses to memory. And apply them to your life. Consider the faithful who have gone before you. Look to examples of the faithful through Scripture first and then throughout history. Imitate their faith. Lay aside anything that hinders. Don't let good things become bad things because they become ruling things in your life. Lay them aside so you can run this race that God's called you to run. Also, lay aside sin that so easily entangles us, it hinders us from moving forward in godliness. And lastly, look to Jesus. Trust in Him. Follow Him. Study His example. Pray that the Spirit of God would give you the grace and the strength you need to run the race God has called for you to run well and finish strong. Maybe you're here this morning and if you're being honest with yourself, you're, you're not trusting in this great work that Christ has accomplished at Calvary. First things first, before you can run this race well, you must enter into the race and the only way to enter through is through Jesus Christ, through repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus. That's where you need to start. No better time than right here, right now today to make that decision. I pray if you have not, you would make Christ Lord of your life today and be saved. Let's pray together.